1, which will be a kind of launch point for us tonight. Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 10. As we are coming to the end of this series that we've been pursuing all spring on Wonderfully Made, um, learning what it means to be human, uh, we have been working with seven propositions, seven axioms, I'm not quite sure what to call them, but maybe best image would be seven hooks upon which to hang our understanding of, of what it means to be human in this world. And we've looked at different things like to be human is to, to have a body, to be human is to have a soul, uh, to be human is to be either male or female, to be human is to be made in God's image, to be human is to have a blessed vocation. In those first five, we spent a lot of time in, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis especially to see what God's original design was all about, um, a design that though we have experienced the effects of the fall, that original design is still present, though in a, in a disfigured way. That sixth proposition that to be human is to experience the effects of the fall, we've, we've seen how that's the case. Our bodies and our souls experience the effects of the fall, and especially in the area of sexuality, um, we see how that's the case. And so tonight, we want to come to this last proposition from a kind of creation, fall, redemption kind of biblical worldview orientation to, to think a little bit this week and next week that to be human, to be fully human, is to be restored by Christ. Tonight we're going to look at how redemption affects us body and soul, and then next time we're going to see, especially again in the area of sexuality, how we're to offer our bodies to God um, as a living sacrifice, and how that should shape the way we think about our lives in this world. But tonight, this first part, uh, to be truly human is to be restored in Christ. But before we read this passage from God's Word, let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you uh, for your kindness to us and in, in teaching us from your Word um, in a kind of biblical theological fashion what it means to be human. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take these scriptures that we will hear and look at tonight and that you would use them in our hearts and lives so that we might be more and more conformed to Christ's image and more and more appreciative of what it means to be made as human beings. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, of the many excellencies contained in, in that 16th century catechism that we call the Heidelberg Catechism, um, there's this one. Throughout the catechism, there is a clear recognition that Jesus came to redeem us and to rescue us as entire human beings. Jesus comes to redeem us, body and soul. That, that's most clear in the famous first answer of that catechism. Uh, in answer to the question, what's your only comfort in life and in death? 
um, the answer comes that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Our comfort comes that we belong to Jesus, not just our souls, but our bodies too. Our entire human being, our, our entire humanity um, is, is, is held fast by Jesus. But later in the catechism, in answer to the question, why do you call Jesus our Lord? The answer goes like this, because not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, he has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil and has bought us body and soul to be his very own. Now, I think that's really important. In some corners of Christianity, a kind of dualism can creep in unaware, where, where we only care about souls. Um, we talk about saving souls or rescuing souls or, or pursuing souls, and we don't see the body as significant in our salvation, in our redemption. We can view our bodies as a kind of, of life pod that's easily set aside and, and is not part of God's redemptive purpose. Uh, the Kentucky farmer and writer Wendell Berry rightly excoriates such religion. In his essay, Christianity and the Survival of Creation, he observed this. He said, modern Christianity then has become as specialized in its organizations as other modern organizations, wholly concentrated, concentrated on the industrial shibboleths of growth, counting its success in numbers and on the very strong enterprise of saving the individual, isolated, disembodied soul. But, but the modern Christianity that Barry rightly criticizes, it's not actually the religion of the Bible. And it's not actually the religion of the best of our own Presbyterian and Reformed tradition. We believe that to be fully human is to be redeemed and restored by Christ, body and soul. That's what redemption's all about. This, this passage that we just read from Ephesians 1 stresses the fact that we are redeemed in Christ through his blood. His atoning sacrifice for our sins on the cross pays the debt that we've accrued against, by sinning against an infinitely holy God. But that redemption doesn't simply deal with our sin debt. Rather, Paul goes on to say that this redemption leads to restoration. Everything, everything will find its unity in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth, which means that redemption has a broader goal than simply saving souls. Our bodies, too, are being and shall be redeemed. And everything good in God's world shall be brought into and united together in Jesus Christ. And so redemption is not just for our souls, it's also for our bodies. And even though that's true, we, we can't neglect the fact that redemption is for our souls. Now, early in this series, we, we saw that to be human is to have an immortal, reasonable soul. Remember how the children's catechism has it? That, that our souls will last forever? 
Our souls, given to us by God as he he forms us in our mother's wombs, united to our bodies, our souls will survive death. And Jesus warns us how foolish it is to fail to consider our souls and their eternal destiny. He says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Why is that a concern of, of giving, give, gaining the world and giving up your soul? Why, why is that a concern? What, because our souls, the immaterial parts of us humans, our souls are immortal. They last forever. And so we all have an immortal destiny. But because of our sin and sinning, both both the guilt and corruption from our first parents, as well as our own lack of conformity unto and transgression of the law of God, because of all of our sin and sinning, our souls deserve the judicial wrath of God. And in fact, there is a judgment to come for our souls. In Luke chapter 12, as Jesus tells this parable concerning the rich fool, The the horrible moment comes in that parable when God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And for those who have not trusted Christ, Jesus warns, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so we have immortal souls that will face the judgment And this real immaterial part of us deserves the judicial wrath of God and his destruction of our souls in hell. But God's purpose in Jesus Christ is to redeem our immaterial parts, to redeem our souls and to rescue us. The price that Jesus paid to redeem us, as the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us, is his own precious blood The catechism in that question and answer that I mentioned at the beginning is actually paraphrasing 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, where Peter tells us that you were redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And the precious blood of Christ accomplishes the salvation of your soul, Peter says, Christ, through his death, brings a straying sheep back to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Christ rescues us. He redeems the immaterial part of us through his redemptive death on the cross. And when we share this message of salvation with others, we're actually involved in rescuing their souls from deserved death and destruction. The very last verses of of James's letter tells us this. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And this rescue, this rescue from sin and death will ultimately lead to sanctification for the soul in such a way that we need not fear judgment day will be able to stand blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul offers a benediction where he says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body 
be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now more can certainly be said, but we can at least say this. To be truly human is to experience the redemption and rescue of our immortal and material part. To experience the rescue for our souls. But I can't imagine this is controversial for any of you. I hope that everything I've said, you've been nodding along saying, yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. Of course, I believe in the salvation of souls. That's not controversial. Rather, the adjustment that we have to make is that Jesus intends to redeem our bodies also. Redemption is for the entire human person, both body and soul. You see, Jesus' atoning sacrifice secures the salvation of our bodies both now and then. In terms of now, there's a really important passage in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul there is dealing with some of the, some of the so-called mottos of the Christian life that the Corinthians were bandying about among themselves. Mottos like, all things are lawful for me. Another motto, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And those two sayings together were actually meant by the Corinthians to relativize what, what someone did with their bodies. They could eat what they want, drink what they want, have sex with whom they want, because our souls are redeemed, our bodies don't matter, do they? Well, Paul says, no, no, you've misunderstood the gospel. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You see, what we do with our bodies matters. In fact, both from our original design and from our redemption, our bodies are for the Lord. Our bodies belong to Jesus. Jesus claims our bodies right now. And in case we miss it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? In other words, our union with Christ isn't simply about our souls somehow being united to Jesus' spirit. No, our union with Christ is such that our bodies are actually united with the one body of Christ. So that so that how we use our bodies is actually a reflection of Jesus' own body in the world. And then Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? In other words, our bodies actually are a dwelling place for God's Spirit. God himself has taken up residence in your body. And then Paul clinches everything at the end of the chapter by saying, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Our very bodies were purchased, were bought, were redeemed with a price. What price? Well, you know, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And that means then that our bodies have been redeemed now with Christ's own blood. We, our bodies have some measure of rescue, some measure of redemption now, 
because they are united to Jesus, this flesh and bone. But there's coming a day when our bodies will be finally redeemed, finally rescued, finally restored, and we look forward to a then. In Romans chapter 8, as, as Paul's telling us there about the glory to come, um, even as we deal with the suffering of the present time, he says this, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Of course, earlier in Romans chapter 8, Paul's already told us that we have the Spirit, which is the Spirit of sonship that cries out in our hearts with our spirit, our own spirit, Abba, Father. So we are, in a sense, already God's sons and God's daughters. But Paul wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of our bodies now is simply a down payment. It's a kind of earnest money for the final, uh, the final mortgage to be delivered. It's a kind of first fruits of the harvest that, that promise that the rest of the harvest is coming. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us, um, witnessing to us concerning our sonship, is causing us to long for and to groan for our final display before a watching world on the last day of time, that we are in fact God's own children. And Paul tells us that will involve the redemption of our bodies. And what does that look like? And when will that be? Well, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Don't you see? There's a day coming, my friends, when Jesus shall return, not to take us away to heaven in some kind of disembodied state, no, he will finally complete his grand design, that grand design above all designs that God has, which is his work of redemption. And on that resurrection day, when our immortal and redeemed souls are rejoined together with, to an immortal, redeemed body, it will be a day when the Spirit has full possession of us and will fully empower us, when we shall see him as he is and we shall be like him on that day we will take up a taunt song and we will sing, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For on that day, the curse will be undone and we will be fully human, completely restored the way we ought to be. All that we hope for, all that we rely upon in belonging to Jesus body and soul will be realized on that last day because to be fully human is to be restored redeemed in christ thanks be to god would you pray with me please lord jesus in this veil of tears we long for that day we long for that day when there's no more cancer and no more alzheimer's no more heart disease no more death, no more brokenness. We long for that day when it shall all be undone. Lord, that day can't come quick, more quickly enough. But Lord, in the meantime, help us to remember that you are making us 
and remaking us so that we would be fully human, restored, redeemed, rescued, forgiven, that both body and soul we belong to you and we have been bought by you, purchased, set free, so that we might follow you to the promised land. And so, Lord, this night as we come to this table to feast before you, uh, we gladly cry out, yet not I, but Christ through me. Lord, may we be those who rely utterly upon the Christ who has redeemed us, both body and soul. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, the, the song of preparation is, Yet not I, but through Christ in me, we'll remain seated as we sing. <laughs>